Welcome to the first episode of the Belgian Mole Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone, and joining me for this wild ride around Mexico is the Canadian who spends most of his time getting drunk by spinning around, Logan Saunders. Morning. Good morning, and it is a pleasure to finally actually get to do Mole Podcasts. After years of me talking about wanting to do it, it's finally happening. It was more about the schedule lining up. Like, we wanted to uh, podcast about the Dutch version of the mall, but of course, Hunted and Amazing Race 30 had to happen at the exact same time. Yeah, I blame Amazing Race 30. I don't blame Hunted at all, because Hunted I can live with. That was an amazing season as well. I would have happily done that with Vidim. Amazing Race 30, not so much. Yeah. And of course, in past years... uh, Watching non-English versions versions of them all was a bit uh, trickier compared to the relative accessibility of how it is nowadays. So it took a bit of time, but it's it's damn convenient now. Now that uh, people release English subtitles for it pretty quickly after the episode airs. In their defense, they have been releasing these for years, and I have been badgering you guys to join me to do this for years. Just. You've never found the time. Whereas you've you watched both Belgian Mole seasons that have been subtitled, and you watched this year's Vidim as well. Yeah. Just to give some background on how big of a Mole fan I was back in the day, I watched the series premiere of the first American season when it originally aired. Of course, here in Canada, we never got our own version. Um, but other versions have filmed here. I know Norway has filmed uh, here for at least one season before. Um, the second season, the British uh, version even filmed uh, here in my hometown. Um, I want to say at least, I'm sure I'm sure the Dutch version was here at one point in their 18 seasons. So we definitely, Canada does have some connection to them all. We've just never had our own home version. And I don't know, uh, extended relatives always like them all to the point that we would host our own home version uh, every other year or so. We haven't done that in like 10 years because that's when... The American version stopped producing their seasons of the mole. Um, I remember uh, back when a certain service w- uh, came about about 10 years ago, that that's when I watched uh, the four or five seasons of the Australian version of the mole. My memory of it is a little bit faded just because I think I've only watched each of those once, but those are all really good. And then it's been sort of a hiatus from that until this past year with uh, catching up on the last two Belgian moles and the past uh, Dutch mole. And just to give a little context to how big a fan of the mole I am, I am a regular loser on the Bothers Bar uh, suspect list for Dutch mole. In my first year I came dead last, and then went up to 10th and 5th, and then lost in a bullshit twist and came in 2nd, and then it was 5th last year and 3rd this year? I think it was. And I stumbled upon the British versions when Logan hadn't got those cancelled in 2001. And I've been a massive fan ever since. To the point where I've been badgering people on this podcast so much to finally watch Belgian Belgian and Dutch moles with me. And it's finally happening. Yeah, so... Yeah, this is the first time we're really podcasting about a show that uh, requires English subtitles, as far as I know. When you think about how many reality shows there are worldwide. Um, like before, we did a one-off with Big Brother Canada, and and of course with Australia and New Zealand having their own versions of Survivor that I've had to blog about for a certain website. Um, yeah, it's just there's so much now that's tough to put that time aside for a specific non-English version of a reality show. 
And I will say, if you're ever thinking, oh, but I can't watch TV with subtitles and stuff, give it a try. Because the English subtitles on these shows especially are very, very, very good. And also, you do get used to it. I've watched so many foreign mole seasons with English subs now that I'm just used to watching it. In fact, I watched this episode twice because I forgot to make notes because it was so good. And it's just intuition for me now watching watching stuff with subtitles. So I would say give it a try if you if you have never watched a foreign season. Yeah. And you get to pick up some Flemish or Dutch depending on what version you're uh, watching. I know a flavoring means episode. It is a flavoring and yoker and rystelling and yogurts. The very few Dutch words that we will be speaking on this podcast. <laughs> and quick rundown of the bowl. In this case, it's ten people travelling around Mexico doing challenges. One of them's been paid by the producers to sabotage the challenges and try and make sure the team win as little money as possible. At the end of each episode, everyone takes a 20-question test on the identity and the actions of the mole. The person who knows the least goes home, apart from the mole, who can never go home. To quote Arts, spiel every episode. And the, the last person standing at the end... After the 40-question quiz where it's the winner, the loser, and the mole, last person standing wins the entire pot and gets to unmask the mole. And with the Belgian ones, I am notoriously bad at guessing who it is, and with all three of the foreign language ones that Logan has watched, he has picked it from episode one. So I'm very interested to see who your picks are. I didn't do so well this time, because right before the quiz, I wrote down my suspects, and my number one suspect went home, so my streak ended very, very early this year. I will ignore that, and you can tell me who your suspects are at the end, because I'm interested to see whether they match up with mine. Because my suspects from pre-season and from episode one are identical. Maybe you've got tunnel vision already, Michael. Your, your mind hasn't been swayed. I said this to Michelle earlier, I've got a bad case of the tunnel visions already. And I know I have, <laughs> and I can't help myself. And I'm going to be horrendously wrong, because both Belgian seasons so far that I have watched, I have picked the winner as the mole going into the final episode. Oh. And then watch the reveal and go, oh, for God's sake, I'm really wrong. It's not Olche? Can you imagine if it was Olche? I'm hoping and praying Olche is going to be the one to replace Art. I'm still waiting for like two weeks from now where Art comes out and he says, actually, the mole was Olche. <laughs> That's how surprising and split of an outcome it was. You still don't get to know who the mole is until like a month after the finale. Did you actually end up picking uh, Jan? I can't remember. I think you did. Yeah, yeah. At the prior to the finale, yeah, I was. I had Jan in my suspect list from like the first or second episode. Same here. Then. So we open this season with Gilles driving through Mexico, and it cuts to people in coffins. Because what better way to introduce yourself to a season than simulating the actions of the drug cartels? <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure the Mexican government will love that. You know what made this all great is that he has to jump out and explain the task as if there's a group of people standing there, but they're in coffins. I've said it before and I'll say it again. The cinematography on Belgian Mole is amazing. Just starting with with Gilles driving through the Mexican countryside. I mean, in the Argentina season, we had that wonderful sweeping shot over the river before we realise there's people dangling off it. Mm-hmm. And it's just beautifully, beautifully shot. And Shirley's probably my favourite mole host, purely because he does not care how ridiculous the situations he gets himself into. 
No, like he didn't bat an eye that he was talking to a group of people that were buried alive. I mean, you can imagine Art at least cracking a smile with this sort of stuff, but Gilles plays it so straight. And in in fact, my favourite Gilles moment is is the ostrich game from last Belgian season, where he just actively does not care that he's thrashing the contestants and just wants to win because he wants to win. Yeah, Michael, you were saying that he's a certified genius, pretty much, eh? Yeah, he won a show um, called De Slims to Mens in, um, in Belgium a few years ago, I think it was. It's tends to be quite a lot of crossover between mole people and um, and Slims to Mens, because quite a lot of the Dutch people who were involved in the show, I think Art's a former uh, Slims to Mens winner in, uh, in Holland as well, but quite a lot of like mole contestants have appeared on it and stuff. But he he genuinely, I think it was a year before he filmed the the South Africa season. He genuinely won that show, and I think he pretty much dominated it. He's a very intelligent guy, which makes it even funnier when they put him into that sort of situation where he can just thrash the teams and doesn't care. Is it only celebrities who compete on this, or is it just anybody? I think it's like the mole; it has become a celebrities only thing. But I think it did originally start with civilians. Oh, okay. And one more thing that's very important to point out. The average age of this cast is 37.7. That is, to my knowledge, the highest of any show anywhere in the world. Not just for Mole. That's a phenomenally high average age. The Mole tends to skew towards um, an older average age group, though. Yeah, but if you consider the, the final three of the Dutch one last year, the average age was something like 26, I think it was. That's true, yeah. I think Jan was, was on the younger end of that spectrum and well he deserved to uh, be the mole because he fooled a lot of people but yeah 37.7 is a ridiculously high average age for any show i think the previous record holder is amazing race uh, 11 which was i think bindles worked it out to be something like 36.6 oh, okay yeah that's that is considering when you think of well even last year with belgium we had a contestant who was uh, 19 and another who was around, I think Booba was 19, Sam was 21, and then a couple of other contestants who were in their uh, early 20s. Yeah, so this is a really, really old group. Yeah, like you don't see contestants, uh, especially nowadays, it's been a long time since we've had a 60-year-old contestant. Didn't we have a 60-year-old last year? Annalise? I think Annalise was, was in her 60s, wasn't she? Yeah, that's actually true. Hands must have been pretty damn close, too. You know what I was thinking throughout this whole episode? I wish there was just, like, while they were buried alive, they just see Hans photobomb in the background. <laughs> just have him become be a recurring like, oh, Hans is still in this. He's, 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 uh, he might be a contestant again. So everyone is buried in pairs in coffins in the middle of the Mexican desert, and they can earn a portion of the 5,000 euros available in the first game. The more that they're worth, the more puzzles that they have to solve in their own coffin escape room. Coffin escape room, that's the newest trend in Mexico. And they are introduced as Kelly, who's 39 and a psychologist, Peter, who's 37 and a priest, Lloyd, who's 21 and a medical student, Pascal, who's 45 and a marine officer, Steve, who's 60 and a doctor, Chani, who's 26 and a social worker, Jeffrey, who's 40 and a driver, Baha, who's 27 and a financial recruiter, Katrine, who's 54 and an event manager, and Yoka, who's 32 and a vet. So we're just going to refer to her as Joker from now on. Well, that's how you pronounce it. Oh, really? Yeah, that's how they were pronouncing it in the episode as well. Because I originally was going to call her Yoke or Joke, but now apparently you do pronounce it as Joker. 
She's actually named after an item in the mall. Yeah. So from now on, she's going to be known as Bryce Delling. And the first clue for everyone is hidden in their eulogies for each other, which is that the first letter of each line spells out Plaum, the Flemish word for feather. And that will unlock the word lock on the photos in their coffin. Katrina and Pascal, they, um, they don't do too well at this. That first, I don't think they, they don't even clear this first obstacle that everyone clears within minutes. They really don't. They uh, eventually, at about 55 minutes in, give up. Yeah. Because I think with, um, with the mole, the mole wouldn't typically sabotage the first task like this so blatantly. So they're pretty low on my suspect list. I have a theory because I've been looking at, especially at uh, the clubs that suck. Clubs that suck love foreign mole versions, as do I. And people are discounting both of my mole suspects. And I'm like, the mole wouldn't sabotage the first game. They would make it as difficult as possible for them to win the first game, but they wouldn't mm-hmm. outright sabotage it, I don't think. They wouldn't, yeah, they wouldn't be like Katrina Pascal and just not make any progress in an hour. So the mole would feel that would be like too suspicious or stick out too much. Yeah, I'm going to come out here. Steve is my mole right now. And the reason that I think that is because if the mole is given an option of where they want to be to make it as hard as possible, they're going to pick the final set of coffins where they're going to be in there the longest in theory. Mm-hmm. But he won't have as much control to make sure they don't find that final coffin though. No, but he can make it as long as possible for them to get to the fourth clue where people help them. Right. They still have to solve three clues before anyone can help them. And if Steve accidentally messes with the comms or prolongs the agony or tries to lead Yoko in the wrong direction, maybe he wastes enough time to make sure that they don't get the final coffins in time. Right, to not give them that three-digit code. So it's Lloyd and Kelly in the 250 euro coffins, Peter and Baha in the 500... Katrine and Pascal in the 750 coffins, Chani and Jeffrey in the 1,000 euro coffins, and Yoka and Steve in the two and a half grand coffins. And another reason I think it might be Steve is because we didn't see him finding out Yoka's name. He just knew it already. Oh, I didn't even notice that. I spotted it both times I watched the episode. He, he immediately introduces himself to Yoka. He says, hi Yoka, I'm Steve. And I don't know whether they just cut out the bit where she says, hi, I'm Yoka, but... If the mole knows who, who is in what coffins already because they've decided for whatever reason, that might just be a little hint that it's him. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's Jeffrey and Lloyd who are the first to spot the plum clue, and Lloyd and Kelly end up being the first to escape, and in a wonderful moment, Kelly gets absolutely shit-scared by Gilles. Yeah. <laughs> not the car, not being buried alive, but by Jill. Just sort of quietly chatting to um, to Lloyd out the corner of her eye, she just sees him and goes, Whoa! <laughs> I've been watching you guys the whole time. <laughs> and, and Lloyd has the highest boxers I've ever seen. There's more boxers than pants on him. <laughs> Logan, you're officially on Boxer Watch. <laughs> <laughs> um... And Chani does not know too many uh, world figures, let's just say. Of all the recognisable people, there were four people in there who are very recognisable. There is Margaret Thatcher, there is Paul McCartney, there is Mikhail Gorbachev, and there is Hugh Hefner. If you don't know who those four people are, you are either moling or being quite stupid. I will say, I I didn't recognise Thatcher in there. 
I obviously did. Yeah, because that's why I was thinking, you recognize the British people, Michael. <laughs> yeah, but also, I, I think I think you you can have a slight chance of guessing who Thatcher is, given that that even looks like a prime ministerial portrait. You can tell she's a politician. And geographically, Belgium is very close to uh, England. They're not going to pick really obscure people for that sort of a challenge. No, and of course, like who the who uh, I even wrote down like who the hell is Will Ferdy? <laughs> and everyone in the first four sets of coffins needs to work together to help Yoka and Steve by revealing the songs that they would have played at their funerals. This will then reveal the phone number to ring to contact Yoka, helping to solve their fourth clue. I love how quickly they all just give up on Katrina and Pascal. Like, yeah, let's just take those crosses. What was suspicious, though, is that a couple of the guys um, didn't want to remove the crosses right away. Yeah, I think if the thousand euro people get out, then at that point you can pretty much give up on getting the 750 euro. Yeah, because they had an extra puzzle and the 750 people clearly are struggling a lot. I mean, if Chani... What was the best part is that she didn't even know who Paul McCartney was, and they still got out of there anyway. Do you think that that was the first attempt in the numbers? Because if you know three of them, for example, you're already down to a a reasonably easy chance. Yeah, there's not many combinations left at all. And Peter also spots the plum clue. And the next clue for the final four coffins is that they have to reveal the key to their box by embracing the light. In other words, it's hidden in their torch. And in a potential bit of sabotage, Yoker claims not to spot it. Yeah, Yoker was pretty suspicious with this uh, challenge, too. This is why I think that it's logical for them all to try and get to the later coffins. It does, yeah, and I agree that, in a way, you would think that the suspicious people are the ones with the shovels, but yeah, if the two people in the final coffin can just view as being helpless overall and not realize, oh yeah, they struggled with... Uh, getting far enough to give them the three-digit code, then, yeah, maybe it is a wise strategy to be in not only the most expensive coffin, but be able to sabotage in a very subtle way. Because the thing is, the mole probably had a clock in their coffin of some description, thinking about it. So if they can see that, oh, we're getting close to losing here, they can then start helping with the answers to the clues. Or if they think, oh, this is going a bit too quickly they can start slowing down and stuff. Yeah, it's exactly like uh, Gilles with the Argentina running task from uh, uh, two seasons ago, where he intentionally sped up or slowed down depending on what producers told him where the other uh, contestants were at. Yeah, I'm very surprised that people are discounting Steve purely because he, he won some money in this episode, and it's like, well, actually the mole doesn't want to lose all the money, they want to minimize the money. And if they can get them, if by winning the team a thousand euros, they can get themselves into a position where they're going to then lose money, that's a logical place for the mole to go. Mm-hmm. Do they ever have an old mole, though? Like, have they ever had anybody who say, well, I guess Bill McDaniels from season two of The American Mole? Yeah, they've not had an old mole for a while, which is why I think it's probably not going to be one of the young people. Yeah. I think old moles is a, a demographic that they don't tend to go to because old people tend to like slow things down in a running race and that's sort of an obvious mole sabotage. 
And those in the coffins were 750 euros and above, now have to pick five people from the ten photos that they've received to work out who's still alive, and the numbers on their photos reveal the next clue. And as we said, Chani doesn't recognise either Margaret Thatcher or Paul McCartney, but it doesn't matter because they get out anyway. Yeah. And the last clue for the thousand euro coffin is to find the link between a Bible in one coffin and an iPod in a clock in the other. If they can work out that the song is by Genesis and that the clock points to the correct verse, they will find the word lot, their final code, which allows them to escape. And they are indeed the third team to escape. Yep, they're the final team. And in another unintentionally hilarious moment from Kelly, she sits on a cactus. Yeah. <laughs> you're, in, you're in the Mexican desert, Kelly. <laughs> Be careful where you sit down. And the code that was found in Steve's box unlocks a chest of shovels to dig them out, but they're not there. Instead, it contains a map. And Yoka and Steve are buried 500 metres down the path, and to win 2,500 euros, they have to find them and save them in time. At one point, they were just standing around near the end when they were with when people were running with the shovels. They just suddenly just stopped and were evalu- were uh, they were surveying the landscape. Yeah, I think they knew they were in the right area. They just needed to spot the crosses. Yeah, but if you don't see in the immediate vicinity, you just gotta you gotta keep moving. Yeah, and they do eventually find Yoko and Steve, but it is four minutes late. So they end up with only 1,750 euros for this assignment. It's not the worst uh, performance for an opening task. It isn't, especially given the cluster that was Dutch Mole this year. But it also could have been a lot higher. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, in Jill's intro about there being a saboteur in the group, Steve is visible in almost every scene. And yes, at this point, I was just looking for clues that Steve's a mole, but I'm doubling down. (laughs) Yeah. I'm determined to find hidden clues because I'm determined to actually find the mole on, on Belgium Mole this year. <laughs> Who's the person in the car that um, was asking if Peter was gay? Katrine. Katrine. <laughs> I just have one note, which is Katrine is obsessed with who and who isn't straight. Yeah, like she has her, like she couldn't get out of a coffin, but oh man, she's really invested in her uh, gaydar by all means. She was trying to figure out, like, oh, do do men do the men and women share the same beds in the episode? Epi- episode? What? Um, or is it just men and men, or women and women? But what if one of them is gay? Like she was going through every variable possible. I'm thinking, put that energy you put into the sleeping arrangement, and instead invest that into figuring out who the mole is. It did help us uh, learn what the the, uh, the Flemish words for gay and lesbian are, though. But has she ever seen this show before? They have separate beds. It's not Big Brother. Yeah. It's not a show about hooking up. And in the second challenge in the episode, the two most musical people, who end up being Baha and Chani, follow behind a mariachi band as they tour through the city to a bullring, and the remaining eight must split into three teams and complete mini-challenges, each worth a thousand euros, and that also allows them the ability to help Baha and Chani in their challenge. And if they complete their challenge before the band passes them, they can join the tour, and the band plays mariachi versions of five popular songs, which they must identify at the bullring. I was amazed with how little they knew, because these were five extremely popular songs. Yeah, I think one of them potentially could have tripped people up, which is Maria Maria, which I knew, see, and see, I know that's you the first knew. One I recognized. Yeah, I knew. I know you knew it because you went to see Santana a couple of weeks ago. But <laughs> like, I, I was sat here just humming it, going, "I know it. I can't remember what it is." And then eventually, I worked it out before they said it. That it was Maria Maria. 
Mm-hmm. But the other four songs are very, very, very popular. Yeah, like, Come On Eileen, I was, I, that one is so distinct within the first few seconds, and they're like, we don't know. And then, even when Michael Jackson wants... One of the most popular artists ever worldwide, especially the song Billie Jean. One of the most popular songs in the past 50 years, probably in the top 10 for most played, along with uh, Thriller. And they're thinking, no, we know it's Michael Jackson. And then Baja said, yeah, it might be Thriller. It's like, oh, how do you not know it's Billie Jean? <laughs> I get that it's sort of a high-stress situation, and you're, you don't have the luxury of having the perfect audio like we do. But seriously, when you get to that bullring and you come across Angie, you don't chuck it in. <laughs> At the point where you see the chickens, you go, hmm, wonder what song that could be alluding to. Oh, Eileen, come on, Eileen, got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd be like, I don't remember Michael Jackson coming out with a song called uh, Billy Angie. <laughs> And in the first mini-challenge, the two steadiest people, Kelly and Yoko, have to set up and knock over two rings of dominoes before the band reaches 600 metres and passes them. And they do badly. Kelly does badly. Kelly does very badly here. Yoker didn't, Yoker didn't uh, tip any of the dominoes until their, final, uh, until their final attempt there, where she only gets uh, halfway. But, they had to, but Kelly wasted a lot of time during that. I think they eventually had the right tactic of leaving enough of a gap so if they do accidentally knock it, it's not the end of the world. But they were just farting around for so long. I think uh, for the music task, they shouldn't have had two people that don't know music. Well, besides that, but they should have had uh, had like Katrine or Pascal who would have recognised, hey, this is Michael Jackson's Billie Jean. Oh, this is Come On Eileen. And not just that, because I want to see Katrina or Pascal have to run around after chickens in a bullring. Yes. <laughs> I think they would have failed at that worse than uh, than being buried alive. <laughs> Interestingly, where would you have put yourself in this challenge? Would you have put yourself as the most musical, or the steadiest, or the ballsiest, or would you have left yourself to last? If I asked uh, Chani and Baja, hey... Do you know Michael Jackson songs or Santana songs? And if they said, "Oh, we don't know a single song of theirs," then yes, I would have uh, I would have jumped in for the music one because I recognized all five. As soon as it was revealed that it was Maria Maria, I was like, "Logan's going to be all over this on the podcast." <laughs> that is true. Given um, that I know you went to see Santana last week. <laughs> yeah, that concert was awesome. By the way, he says. He's 10 years older than Steve, and he hasn't missed a beat with his guitar playing. I can't say I'm surprised. Um, I would have either done that or the basketball task. Absolutely nobody wants to do the music task to begin with, though, so I can't put too much blame on Channing and Baja, because Channing only said, oh, I only know modern music, and then Baja didn't even want to do it. They all just volunteered him. So I think it was, I can't remember if it was Katrina or Pascal who said, oh, I... Uh, I can play an instrument, or I can read musical notes and stuff. There's Pascal, I think. Yeah, and then she's like, but I don't want to do it. I think they probably thought that they would be performing with the, the mariachi band, so they're like, oh, I don't want to do that. It's oh, not I see. And in the second mini-challenge, the three ballsiest people, who are Jeffrey Lloyd and Katrine, have to solve three anagrams with an extra letter, which are written on basketballs. They must then score the extra basketballs from particular lines before the band passes them to win the thousand euros. 
And interestingly, Katrine scores the first two, and Jeffrey scores the final one. Yeah. I don't think they play basketball much in Belgium, because that wasn't uh, the technique, and some of the shots there were kind of uh, laughable. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people suspect um, Katrine after this episode, and I'm like, really? She's probably by default my second biggest suspect, but... She really tried a lot in the basketball. Yeah, she doesn't even seem like she'd be somebody who would play basketball that much in contrast to the other two. So was, Lloyd was one of the people doing the basketballs as well, and his shots were just awful. So many air balls. No one really hit the backboard. And the range from where they had to shoot wasn't that far away. Like that should, And it was straight on as well. It wasn't like they were... It wasn't like playing horse or something something like that where uh, you have to shoot from each individual spot on the arc. This was just straight on, you know, just hit the ba- bank it from the backboard into the basket and you're bound to uh, score them relatively quickly. But in the end, it doesn't matter because they win the thousand euros anyway. Yeah, but I can't help but feel that uh, one of the other two guys, because it was Jeffrey, right? Jeffrey was there? Jeffrey Lloyd and Katrina. Yeah. yeah feel like one of those two guys should have done a bit better at this. And I did figure out that the one uh, anagram was, prob- was probably the word uh, lemon. As did I. Having done a little bit of Duolingo Dutch, I was like, is it going to be lemon? I'm like, yes. Because <laughs> it's similar spelling in the, well, almost across all languages. Because it's, it's similar to English and it's um, almost identical to the way they spell it in Spanish. Yeah, I didn't get the other two, but I did get lemon. I didn't get dunk for some reason. The one English anagram in there. I'm like, oh yeah, that 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 makes sense. It's basketball. I guess I I guess I should have figured that one out. <laughs> Belgian people figured out an English word before I did. And the last mini challenge is for Peter, Stephen, Pascal to play a guess who game with a Mexican man who speaks no English. And Peter is Donald Trump, Pascal is Pamela Anderson, and Steve is a Belgian footballer called Jean-Marie Feff. <laughs> And Peter gets to Trump quite quickly before Steve gets Jean-Marie Feff and seems to nudge Pascal as if he seems to know the answers. And they do end up winning a thousand euros. Oh, so you're really on to uh, Steve here. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm putting all my my chickens in Steve's basket right now. Just watch him get eliminated soon. Putting all, putting all of your Angies into Steve's basket, you mean? And at the bullring, Chani and Baha must round up the five chickens matching women's names in the song and put them in their pen to win their thousand euros in five minutes. And the editing on this was beautiful. They really needed a Keisha Knight Polium from Celebrity Mole Yucatan to catch these chickens because Chani and Baha were... They did about as well at, the, at this as they did at the music task. Just the, the anticipation of what was going to come through the door, though... I was like, if this was Israeli TV, they would actually put them in there with bulls, but it's not. So, what's it actually going to be? I wish it was ostriches. I wish they would have had the same ostriches from the Scrabble game. Belgian Mole has such wonderful history with ridiculous animal tasks, and I quite like the fact that they convinced them that it was going to be something really evil that was coming out the door, and then it was just really pissed off chickens. Well, they did just bury them alive, so thinking it might be bulls wasn't too far out of the question. Very true. Mole goes evil. Yeah. 
Or it'd be funny if it was like school children or something like that from one of the local schools. But yeah, they do horrifically at this. They only get two of the chickens correct, which is Billie Jean and Caroline. And they don't even know two of the songs. Yeah. And uh, Baja, they point out, was just seemed... Well, Channing didn't want to touch the chickens, and Baja, who wanted to, was very adamant about running, but was vetoed by everybody else, was exhausted at the within uh, five minutes. And I don't think he was running too hard to the point that he was pushing himself to exhaustion. Yeah, do you really think he does much running, though? Yeah, what is his job again? He has an office job, isn't it? Yeah, he's a financial recruiter, I think it was. Yeah, so that makes sense. He could just be like a... A gym rat or something where could just be he just lifts weights in the gym to get big muscles but has no cardio whatsoever there's a lot of people like that especially ones who have desk jobs i don't think he does much cardio yeah then they and i think they may have overemphasized in the episode saying oh how were you exhausted that was like the main sabotage that everybody was uh everybody was examining so, in the last challenge of the episode, everyone abseils down into a canyon called Coyote Canyon in pairs, and one person will see a quote from a candidate, and the other will see the four options, and the first person in the pair to get to the bottom can identify who said it for a thousand euros, and the fastest person down in a quite-on-the-nose challenge wins an advantage for the first episode, Cliffhanger. As soon as I saw this on Monday, I paused it and went, you absolute bastard, you're so on the nose with knowing that Belgian Mole is known for its cliffhangers after the first episode. Yeah, but the fact that now the twist is officially known as the cliffhanger. And the fact that the twist was a cliffhanger. They were on a cliff, dangling down. That's what I mean about it being so on the nose, but just a little bit of Belgian Mole history. Since it came back, in the Argentina season, we had the cliffhanger of the first eliminated person being trapped in a paint bomb filled taxi and everyone having to help them in the first challenge of the next episode to determine whether she could return or not. And in the uh, South Africa one last year, we had um, the guy who was originally eliminated basically at the start line getting a chance to come back and being in the back of everyone's shots. So I wonder what this next cliffhanger is going to be. Yeah, there, there's no real consistency uh, to it. No. So the pairs are Chani and Steve, Pascal and Kelly, Jeffrey and Yoka, Peter and Katrine, and Lloyd and Baha. And it is Steve, Pascal, and Katrine who answer correctly to win their respective thousand euros. Well, one person was going so slow that they didn't even get to see the quotes so they had no choice but to guess. Yeah, that was Jeffrey. Yeah. Oh, I should note, I really wish that Pamela Anderson had won an Oscar. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I love the Mexican guy's reaction to it. <laughs> he just starts laughing and goes, no. <laughs> and um, Pascal also doesn't even read her sign until halfway down. She just sort of has to get shouted at. Yeah, like, did you read the sign, Pascal? It's like, was Pascal just trying to fail at everything possible this episode? How would you have done with this task, by the way? Because you're not a big fan of heights, are you? Well, here's the thing. I hate heights in terms of just overall fear of it, but I love the adrenaline rush of it, if that makes sense. And in more news of me being completely blinded onto, uh, onto Steve, Lloyd's guess of Steve being the correct answer wasn't even shown. Oh. It was the on only answer when they buzzed in that wasn't even shown. Hmm. 
Yeah, you've really got blinders on towards Steve. Oh, I, 100% I have. Because I suspected him from the preseason Café de Mole as well. Okay. And it is Yoka who wins the advantage in the envelope. Yoka is vegetarian, we also learn. Is she? That's, I think that's what they said. Cause she said that she wouldn't have done well with the catching the chickens. No, I thought I thought they said that um, she should have done it because she's a vet. Oh, but, but, okay. Never mind. And because we both love dogs, there is a dog at the end of the horse convoy on the way out as well. Yeah, I didn't even notice that. Neither did I until I was watching it again earlier. <laughs> Just a random dog amongst the horses. I'm surprised it didn't get trampled. It was right at the end. It was after the last horse. It was just a dog chasing them for some reason. I like how Kelly gets scared of the cacti again because of what happened on the first day. She said on the first time and then, and then the third day she's like, oh no, the cacti, cacti, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm avoiding the cacti this time. <laughs> and now in the episode, it is time for the test. 20 questions about the identity and the actions of the mole. Whoever knows the least goes home. Apart from the mole, who can never go home? I've wanted to say that for ages. Yes. And there are six people's um, suspicions that we learn, which is Chani, who suspects Yoka, Baha, who suspects Pascal, Catherine, who suspects Peter, Jeffrey, who suspects Steve, Peter, who suspects Lloyd, and Lloyd, who suspects Baha. I suspect Catherine of always being drunk, the way that she was spinning <laughs> during the Coyote Canyon task. <laughs> and this is the point in the episode where I'm going to ask, who's your suspicion, Logan, other than Kelly? Um, I I have Chani pretty high up there. I have Chani and Yoker right now as my two active uh, suspects. Just because of how fast Yoker was at the Coyote Canyon, the fact that she got the cliffhanger by over 30 seconds, and then her and Steve didn't get out of the coffin. I just feel like, and plus the fact that the domino task, it was more pinned on Kelly failing than her, even though they both really failed. So I feel like Yoker is being very subtle with their, all the sabotages that nobody's really pointed it out. I could see it being Yoker. And then Chani, I mean, she's done so many uh, things that only one thing has stuck out for the other players, but it's like Chani had one of the worst uh, episodes, I think, of almost uh, any contestant at the beginning. Like, she sucked at a lot of things. I mean, Katrina Pascal did, too, with um, with the coffins and whatnot. And uh, I think, which one was it that completely missed the quote? Was it Pascal? It was Pascal, yeah. Yeah. But I feel like those two, it's just, I really just can't see those two being the, the mole, because I feel like that would be too obvious if they both just failed the first, uh, the first coffin task. But with Chani, it's like, how do you not know this or not know that? Or how do you not recognize Paul McCartney and just take a shot in the dark to get out of the coffin? I think if I were the mole, I would want to have been in those last coffins. Not necessarily for the thought of being stuck there for an hour. Mm -hmm. But I would want to be in those last coffins just purely so it was the most difficult part for me to have to accidentally not complete and also it keeps half of the money away from the pot which is entirely what the mole wants to do they don't want to lose all of the money they want to gain as little money as is possible yeah and then i had baja on my suspect list too but i was thinking eh, they really overemphasized his inability to have cardio a bit uh, too much and then uh 
I noticed Kelly was partnered with Lloyd, so now Lloyd's in my suspect list because typically in tasks where you're in partners at the start of the season, whoever gets executed, um, it's their partner ends up being the mole a good percentage of the time because it's like the one person that they end up trusting. And at the first execution, there was a tie. 20 questions and there's a tie. Which usually means that someone else got absolutely zero, which is fun. Yeah, 20 questions and you get zero. Huh? How do you like that? And Katrine, Baha, Chani, and Peter all get green screens before Kelly gets the dreaded red screen. And Gilles has one more question for her. Can I have your mole book? Which means that the mole books are coming back. Oh, they always have that task where they can snoop on the eliminated journals at the final four. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that they actually made a thing of Gilles asking it, though. Oh, as if there might be a way for her to come back? Yeah, there's something up with those mailbooks, because they made a big thing of Jill handing them out, and they made a big thing of Jill asking if um, can he have her mailbook. Right, because he even said, like, there's ten different color notebooks, guys. Yeah, there's something that's going to happen with those mailbooks. I can smell it. Yeah. And in the end of the episode, Yoka opens the envelope and legs it out of the hotel. <laughs> yeah. They're all asking her, like, can you read it out loud? Yoker? Yoker? You're still reading. Oh, no, it's something bad, isn't it? And she just silently just gets up in her seat and runs away into a truck, never to be seen again. So what do you think the story with that is? <sighs> I feel like she's. it's got to be, like, for some sort of exemption, I would think. I know Belgian Mole rarely does exemptions, especially early on. Usually it's around, what, five or six players they'll do... They'll have an exemption up for grabs. Yeah, the one clue that we had is that she was. we saw that small glimpse of her in the next time preview wearing the paintball masks. Yeah. Yeah, they sure love a good uh, paintball exemption challenge. I think she's probably going to be playing for an exemption next episode, but... Actually, the last, last two seasons in a row, the one paintball challenge they had were both for exemption, because Jillis won the exemption uh, two years ago when he had to fire paintballs at everybody. And then um, uh, last year, um, they had the Hunger Games. The Hunger Games exemption, that was all paintballs as well. Yeah, so I just think it's she's going to be playing for an exemption. And she's probably going to have to try and complete a task while people are chasing her in, a, in that helicopter or something. I wonder if if she wins the exemption, then Kelly gets to come back? I'm not sure. Or if Kelly has to do something on her own. But they didn't really show Kelly at all in the preview, though. While in the last two, they made it very clear that the first person eliminated still had a shot. Like, um, Ruth, two years ago, they before the end of the episode, he knew that she could come back. And then last year, they made it very clear with uh, Hans with his uh, photo bombing. I don't think that Kelly's going to be coming back. I don't think they're going to do that game again, but... I just have a, a feeling that Yoka's going to be playing for an exemption in that paintball challenge. Because mm-hmm. I did say it's for advantage. Although it would be funny if, if Yoker was playing for Yoker. Or if our producers originally had it planned as exemption and then changed it to Yoker just for the jokes. Just for the just for the yokes, I mean. What if she's playing for, um, for Kelly's mole book? Oh, that's a very good I've one. I've just thought of it now. Yeah, I think that's actually it. I don't think it's going to be for exemption because it's because they never they've never done an exemption this early. But that would be a pretty huge advantage to have the mold book of somebody who 
was executed first. You get to rule out at least a couple of... Because people go split ticket, meaning they have multiple suspects on their first quiz. So getting that first mole book, you get to rule out two or three of the other eight people right away. Especially when Kelly's suspicion wasn't shown as well. Yes. Granted, Bertrand had a similar advantage uh, last year, and we saw how uh, that worked out for him. (laughs) How did he get executed back-to-back rounds? How do you do that? You get to roll out two people, and then it's like, well, there's only three or four other people left, and you still get executed. So, next time, there's helicopters, horses, baseball, blindfolds, a game of operation at the baseball field, and Yoka is in the paintball mask. I love Belgian mole. So do I. It's so good. I love that we get to podcast it finally. Yeah. So, who do you suspect is going home next week? Who do I sus- Who didn't get much airtime this week? Baja didn't get... Too much airtime other than people making fun of his cardio, right? Yeah. I think Peter could be going home early. The priest, yeah. It's too... They were even saying in the episode that it'd just be a bit... To have the priest be the mole would just be a bit much. It would be so funny. Can you imagine? It would be the best. Peter, did he do anything suspicious this episode? Not really. But there was a lot of... I think the reason that people might suspect him is because there was a lot of, like, religious imagery and stuff. But it's Mexico. Mexico was very, very, very religious. There was one piece of music that was quite choral as well. That's the other reason that people are suspecting him, I think. Yeah, because they did point out the cross and stuff. I'm thinking, eh, that might be too obvious for uh, hints as to who the mole is. Who was the one that pretended to be fearless and then got scared on the rappel? Was that Jeffrey? Yeah, Jeffrey was uh, the guy who was scared on the rappel. Yeah, there wasn't too much uh, Jeffrey content uh, this week. Um, So I think it's probably going to be one of those two guys that's going to be executed. Yeah, I certainly don't see Peter lasting that long, personally. I think Pascal could be going home early as well. You gotta think one of Katrina or Pascal could uh, be one of the first three boots. Yeah. So, thank you for joining us for this Belgian Mole podcast. We'll be back next week for some more mole hunting. If you've got any questions, or let's be honest, suspicions, feel free to contact us on our Facebook page, Reality TV Warriors, on our Twitter account, RTV Warriors, our own Twitter pages, MJ Armstrong for me, Log Super Quacky for Logan. See you next week. Peace out and just chill till the next episode. No, till the next flavoring. Africa. So long since I've seen the social social episode.